so we start this morning with a story. I believe in some of the previous messages I have shared with you all that back in 2014, I believe it was, I took a trip to Israel with a group of rabbis as well as pastors. And it was a trip that was sponsored by Christians United for Israel. And the entire goal behind the trip was to bring pastors and rabbis together in their support of Israel as a nation. So to say that it was a memorable trip is probably an understatement. All of the different bus rides going from one site to the next site as we were in Israel absolutely were filled with conversations about history and culture and faith traditions as well as how each of the different sites impacted different parts of theology both from a Jewish perspective as well as from a Christian perspective. So from a Christian perspective, the pastors were able to show the rabbis different parts of Israel that for many of them, they'd actually never visited before. Uh, we were able to show them places like the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Caiaphas's house, as well as the Garden Tomb. In each of those different places, we would talk about the significance of the site is where it also it fit into the core beliefs of Christianity. And also, from a Jewish perspective, the rabbis would show the pastors different parts of Israel that most Christians never get a chance to go to. And there's two of those different places that really stood out in my mind. One of those was an afternoon on the border of Lebanon that we got to spend with the Israeli Defense Forces. It was an afternoon that was set up by the Israeli Department of Defense, and they sent one of their senior advisors to come out, a guy with over 30 years of experience in counterterrorism, and he would talk about threats to the nation and propaganda campaigns, as well as efforts by Hezbollah, which were headquartered just across the border. It was an eye-opening experience, to say the least. But there was also another memorable part within the trip, and that is being invited over to a rabbi's house in the old Jewish quarter for Sabbath. I want to try my best to paint the picture of what that night was about because that's the particular event that really begins to lead into our topic for this morning. So the Jewish quarter is one of the four traditional quarters that are inside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. It's an area that is rich with history and beautiful courtyards and a deep sense of community. As you walk through the streets, in many ways, you can tell from the sights and the sounds and the smells, it's almost like you get transported back in time a couple thousand years. Some of the different rooftop views around the city are absolutely astounding from that part of the city. It's hard to describe in many ways, but when you're in that part of the city, there is this unique awareness that you are standing at the intersection of multiple faith traditions. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all come together in the same place. There's thousands of years of deep community that are happening around it. It is the epicenter of the historical events that have shaped the way the world has turned out. It, it is hard to take in everything that is happening within that moment. But on that particular evening, we were invited to the house of Rabbi Daniel Sperber. Now, Rabbi Sperber is a well-respected professor in Israel, also considered to be an expert in the history of Jewish customs and Jewish art and Talmudic studies. On that evening, we got a chance to sit in his living room with his family as he walked us through the significance of Shabbat, or Sabbath, from a Jewish perspective. Like a really calm granddad, he would answer our questions. 
he would pause along the way, knowing that for Christians, many times we've lost a lot of the significance of what Sabbath was about. And he would take the time and explain each of the different parts. Then afterwards, he took us up to his study, a three-story study that was on the roof of his house. Now, for all of you biblical history buffs that are in the room and watching online, all I can say is it was epic in every way you want to describe it. Um, it was like walking through a private museum with thousands of years of history that you could touch. You know, most of the time, the really good stuff is behind the glass. You can't touch it. Here, that was not the case. The, the entire thing had stone walls, over 10,000 different books. There were scrolls that were laid out for study. There were ancient artifacts that were sitting on trays. Every nook, every cranny of this place was filled with history and discovery. It seemed like something out of an Indiana Jones movie. At one particular moment, after we got a chance to walk through, we stepped out on another balcony outside of his study. And one of the pastors asked Rabbi Sperber this question, what could Americans do better in life and by faith? What could Americans do better in life and by faith? And without hesitation, Rabbi Sperber said, Americans mourn and grieve the loss of something far too long. When he said that, nobody was ready for that reply. We just all sat there and stared at him, and apparently he could look on our faces and tell we had no idea what he was describing. So he went on to describe and teach the law of mourning to us from over in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 8. Here, here's what the text says. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And then he said, mourning has a timetable. Israel had 30 days. Now listen to this next statement. You must learn to mourn well, to move on, and to trust God's sovereignty. What a statement. It, it was one of those thought-provoking moments in my life where I just had to sit there and process what I just heard. In further discussion, he went on to say that grief and mourning are, are not limited to 30 days, and that made me feel a little bit better about the whole topic. Um, but he did say that many people get stalled out in grief for a longer period because they don't know what to do, or they don't know how to process the moment, or they also don't know when is right to move forward. That made sense to me. From a personal perspective and a pastoral perspective and a counseling perspective, perspective. All I can tell you is there is a lot of confusion when it comes to the topic of grief and mourning. It's a topic that is confusing for many people, quite honestly, because we like to skip over it and just talk about the happier, more positive things in the faith. We don't want to spend a lot of time there. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but if there's a friend of yours or a family member of yours that's grieving, sometimes you don't know what to say or if you need to say anything at all. So many times that awkwardness of not knowing what to do in the moment, it means that either we don't say anything or either we share maybe a Christian platitude that's not exactly going to help. Another one of the issues that makes it so difficult is because the person who is grieving, many times they are so overwhelmed emotionally and physically and spiritually, they're just trying to keep their head above water. 
The thought of you need to think deeply about grief. You need to let grief have its full work in your life. That that idea is almost foreign to that person because they're just trying to wake up the next day and function in any type of a way that would seem like it was like their life prior to that moment of grieving. All of these result in a lot of confusion in relation to grief. But here's the thing. We all, experience loss. We all will experience moments of grief. The issue here is that it is good for us to know not only how to process grief personally, but it's really good to know how to walk with someone else and support them as they are grieving as well. So today is week number seven in our Issues of the Heart series, and we're talking about grief and sadness. Now, I've waited for this particular topic for this particular point in the series because I wanted to do it in a time that we're right in the middle of the holiday season. The reason for that is because the holidays for many people is a time of joy and happiness and laughter. And yet there's a lot of other people that go through the holidays and it's a time of grief and a time of mourning and it's also a time of sadness. For some people, it will be their first Thanksgiving or their first Christmas without their spouse or without their child. For other people, their mind is filled with sadness because the holidays to them bring up really bad memories about what home life was like 20 years ago. They can't walk through the holidays without those memories flooding their mind and sometimes stealing their joy in the moment. There's some people that when they're going through the the holiday season, they get overwhelmed because they're now noticing maybe an accentuated point in which their life is now so much different because a parent has passed away or because a divorce has happened or because some type of an illness has radically shifted the future of this person. They, they found themselves in a place they never thought they would be in. And I think that's really important for us to pause and to say this. Grief takes many different forms. Grief is not something that is only connected to physical death. Grief is a natural response to loss. And man, there's a lot of areas that we lose things in this world. You can grieve over the loss of a friendship. Grieve over the loss of a preferred future. You can grieve over the loss of a business that you've poured your heart into and it's shut down before your eyes. You, you can grieve the loss of health. There's many different ways that a person can grieve, and all of that is important because sometimes people are walking through periods where they're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just sad. I'm just overwhelmed. I feel depressed. I feel discouraged, and I can't really put my finger on any one thing. There's nothing major that's happened in my life, and they often feel as though something's wrong with them because they're like, well, nobody's died I shouldn't feel this way. No, grief comes with loss. Death is one of those moments where it comes alive in a whole different way in a person's heart. But grief comes with loss. So today, we're going to do our best to answer three questions. Our first question is going to be, what does Scripture teach us about grief? Second question is, what does it look like to grieve well? And third question How can we lovingly support others as they grieve? We've got a lot to process this morning, 
And again, I know this is not a topic that a lot of people are feeling like, man, let's go into the holidays and talk about grief. But all I can tell you is it's a topic that we need to know about. And if we are to be people who love people well, you need to know how to walk with somebody through grief. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles, or you can follow on the screen or pull out an app on your phone, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, our primary verse is verse 13. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of grief and sadness. Grief and sadness. Here's what our text says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, guide us by your spirit through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin with our first question. What does scripture teach us about grief? Now we're going to move from general to specific. We're going from the whole of scripture into our particular text for this morning. But a moment ago, I made the statement that grief is not limited to physical death. Grief is a natural response to loss. And while that is true, our key text for this morning definitely speaks of grief in connection with death and specifically that taking place within time. So we're going to get back to that in just a moment. But this word grieve, it pops up multiple different ways and in different contexts within Scripture. For example, Jonathan grieved for David because Saul had dishonored him back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. There was a loss of respect. There was a loss of fellowship. There was a loss of life as it once was, and it resulted in grief. Uh, Peter expressed grief when Jesus asked him three times in a row, do you love me? And it was a type of a grief that was connected to his denying Christ and also broken trust based on Luke chapter 22. The Apostle Paul grieved over believers who had not repented of immorality in their past over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Jesus grieved over the hardness of people's heart as they would not accept him as the Son of God. Mark chapter 3 verse 5. There's multiple different ways that grief shows up in Scripture. And in just that one group alone, we find that grief is connected to loss in relationships, respect, normalcy, intimacy with God, trust, potential, testimony, you name it. Grief comes with loss. Wherever there is great loss, there is potential for great grief. Now, I want us to talk specifically about what we find in verse number 13. The word grieve in verse 13, it speaks of heaviness, feeling sorrow, or being distressed. It is the emotional suffering that is brought on by bereavement or by mishap or by disaster. It speaks of somebody who is in this period of or this season of sadness. Now, here's the context for what we find in 1 Thessalonians 4. The church in Thessalonica was very young in their faith. And when I mean very young, I'm talking like several months at this point. But the Apostle Paul has done a masterful job of laying in key pieces of teaching and theology. And a part of what he shared with them was also about Christ's return to gather believers to himself. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. He talked to them about the day of the Lord, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And he also talked about the coming judgment of the ungodly, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. 
And as with most people who study end-time events, they had some questions. And their primary question came back to the idea of confusion over the time of a person's physical death and the future time of that coming resurrection. So when the Apostle Paul writes them, he's writing them to first inform. He says in the passage, we do not want you to be uninformed. He said, I'm going to teach you something you need to know in this moment. But then he also is writing to them to comfort them. He says all the way down in the last part of that section, down in verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you were to say, Paul, what is this message about this morning? I would say it's about informing and it's about comfort. It's about letting you know what the word of God says on the subject of grief and sadness and mourning. And Lord willing, as a result of that, it leads to comfort. It leads to calmness. It helps person understand, this is what it looks like. Here's where I'm at in the path. God has this all under control. It's about informing, and it's also about comfort. So Paul informed these believers that, yes, you will grieve when somebody has passed away. He doesn't hide that in the text whatsoever. Grief is natural. Grief is necessary. Grief is even good. It is a part of God's plan to help somebody process a a major change, a major loss within their life. But Christians grieve differently. And that has to be what we see in this. Christians do not grieve like the rest of the world. Based on this text, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. There are times that I'm hearing stories or I'm, I'm seeing something in the news or I know of somebody personally that they don't know the Lord and they're walking through deep valleys of grief and my heart is like, I don't know how you do that apart from Christ. I don't, I don't know how you wake up the next day, have hope in your heart, have a desire to move forward. Like There's grief that we all experience, but a Christian's grief is different. It has hope that is connected to it. Now, this hope is not wishful thinking. Okay, now we're not like, I hope things are going to get better. No, this hope is based upon the truths and the sovereignty of God. This hope is what comes back to the fact that God is completely in control and he will do everything that he has promised. There is hope for the Christian because God promises to be close to the brokenhearted in Psalm 34 and to comfort those who mourn in Matthew 5. There is hope for the Christian because for us, Our grief is only temporary. It's hard. Oh, please, please don't hear me say it's not that bad. That's not what I said. What I said is our grief is temporary. Based on what we find, Revelation 21.4, it says one day Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Praise God, our grief is temporary. There's also hope for a believer because if you're in biblical community, you don't grieve alone. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it tells us that we are to weep with those who weep. And then there's also hope because the Apostle Paul anchors this teaching back into the resurrection of Christ. He talks about the fact, he points back in verse 14 to Jesus' death and resurrection, and then he also points forward to the coming of the Lord and the dead and of Christ rising first, and those who are alive being called up with the Lord in the air, and then the promise, and we shall always be with the Lord, chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. And then he finishes in verse 18. 
comfort one another with these words. It should be that for a believer, yes, grief hurts. Yes, we go through it. But we don't go through it like somebody who does not know that there is a God and that that God is sovereignly acquainted and aware of everything that is happening within our life. We grieve as those with hope. So now let's move on to our second question. What does it look like to grieve well? What does it look like to grieve well? This is a question that I have wrestled with personally for a number of years. And while all of the information that I'm about to share can apply to grief in general, I am specifically going to talk about it in the context of grief when it comes to the passing away of a loved one. So as of yesterday, December the 3rd, it's the two-year anniversary of my dad passing away. Fourteen months prior to that, my mom passed away unexpectedly. doesn't matter how old you get. When your parents pass away, it's hard. Also, doesn't matter how old you get when there's a lot of change that happens fast, it's hard. Now, the reason I bring that up is because everything I just shared with you about grief from Scripture, I knew prior to both of my parents passing away. Everything I just described, everything that I've shared with you, I knew, I taught, I shared with others. And yet in the moment, I still struggled with the question of, am I grieving well? As a pastor, as a counselor, I've walked with a lot of people through grief and death and mourning. But I'm going to be as honest as I can be. There's something different when you're the one walking through it. What I mean by that is when you're the one grieving, you can know truth. You can be in prayer. You can be in the word every day. You can be in biblical community with a loving group of believers around you. And you're still going to face moments where you're just overwhelmed and you're confused. And that has nothing to do with the fact that God is not sufficient or that his word is not complete and enough. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm also not saying that it is an issue of the fact that as a believer we don't have hope. That, that's not it. What I'm saying is that change is hard, and sudden change seems to be harder. I'm saying that truth will absolutely anchor your life. But in a moment of crisis, you even begin to doubt the anchor. I've experienced all of these pieces personally. I'm one of four children, and I noticed that each of my siblings processed the death of my parents differently. That's not a surprise. In fact, that's one of the things that you hear all the time when it comes to people who are grieving or walking through, you know, an unfortunate set of circumstances. People say this. They'll say, everyone grieves differently. And I think there's probably a lot of truth in that. But here's the thing about it. It doesn't make the person who is grieving feel better about it. You know why? Because you don't know if you're grieving well or if you're grieving at all. You don't, you don't know, like, am I where I'm supposed to be? Right? If everybody grieves differently, how do I know I'm grieving at all? How do I know I'm walking through? How do I know that 
three months from now or two years from now, I'm not going to wake up and suddenly overwhelm because I didn't take time to stop along the way. In my mind, I want to have measuring rods. I want there to be a standard. I want there to be something I can say, here's what the standard is. Here's where I'm at before the standard. And now I know where I'm at in the process. And when it gets to grief, you don't have that. So I'm going to do my best in order to try to describe why it is that it's so different for people. This is going to be the most simple thing you've ever heard in your life, but do you know why we grieve differently? Because we're all different. We all have different temperaments. We all have different past experiences. We're all at a different point in our spiritual journey. We, we all have different coping methods that we've built up over the course of time. We, we all have different pieces. Like there's so much that causes it to be different. But I want to go back for a moment to what Rabbi Sperber said, that final statement, because, man, he was on to something. He said, you must learn to mourn well to move forward and trust God's sovereignty. That's a good word of advice. So what did it look like to mourn well? Here's what I can give you. Grieving well begins before loss. What I mean by that is we make the most of our moments before that moment. We say things that need to be said. We tend to hurt and division and misunderstanding while there is time. We spend quality time with those that we love. We live our life above reproach. We make the most of the moments that God gives us because one day down the road, unless Jesus comes back before then, one day down the road, we will all face death. And when that time comes, you don't want to walk in with a lot of regrets a lot of second questions, should I have done this? Should I not have done that? Live well in the moment. In fact, you'll find that grieving well starts by living well. Here's the next one. Grieving well continues with God. When somebody is experiencing grief, usually there's a part where they get upset. Oftentimes they don't understand. And sometimes that means that they try to blame God and say, God, how could you have let this happen? Why did you do this? And here's the thing. When you're walking through other issues within your life, and it's hard, and it's a problem, it's an issue at work, it's an issue in family, it's an issue in your personal walk, when those moments come, your natural response is to go to God and say, God, I need your help. But if you're grieving and you're saying, God, you did this to me, then our response is to back up and say, I, I can't go there anymore I had a really good friend I still got a really good friend who when her spouse passed away she said I could not sing good good father in church for almost two years that's honesty there's there's something that moment where you're like the one I trust the most to look out for me God I don't understand why you did this but here's why it's so important Mourning well and grieving well happens in the presence of God. 
Don't walk away from time in the word, time in prayer, time in worship, time in community. Don't don't abandon those things. Lean in even more. Bring your hurt, bring your pain, bring your problems. Just say, God, I'm hurting. This is where I'm at. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to bring it to you anyway. Sometimes you might have to force yourself into that. But let me tell you, there is something beautiful about processing grief in the presence of God. When the Bible says he is close to the brokenhearted, it's not lying. He's close to the brokenhearted. Here's another piece. Grieving well happens in community, not isolation. It is not uncommon for emotionally raw, hurting people to want to withdraw from others. None of us like feeling vulnerable. None of us like feeling weak. It can be an embarrassing moment when everybody thinks everything's fine. Next thing you know, you're crying and you don't even know why you're crying in that moment. It's uncomfortable sometimes because when you're around people, they ask you the same questions that you never had the right answer for the first time. So it's like you keep answering the same thing and you're like, I I don't even know if this is the right answer. They'll ask you like, how are you doing? I don't know. Are, Are you taking time for yourself? I don't know what that means. Are, are you taking time to grieve? That depends on what the process looks like. I, I don't know. So what happens is the person gets so frustrated in the moment that they're like, I just need to back out of this social situation. I don't need to take that dinner party. Let me step out of my small group for a period of time because we just don't know how to process that. All I could say is do not walk away from community when you're grieving. Amen. You need others around you. There is something that is soothing. There is something that is calming. There is something that is beautiful about the body of Christ coming together and knowing the fact that those people love you and love the Lord and they're going to keep pointing you back to Jesus and they're going to be praying for you and they're going to say, I'm here for you. Like you need community. That's a part of grieving well. So here's another piece. Grieving well takes steps forward. Now, I don't know if there is any one approach that doesn't have some criticism attached to it. So, for example, many people have heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But let me also say that even in the counseling world, there's questions as to whether or not every type of grief walks through every stage that's been listed. There's also another one that's out by J. William Wordens. He speaks of four steps in grief, that of accepting the loss, experiencing the pain, adjusting for next, and reinvesting emotional energy. Now, some people will say, you need to follow this plan. This is the plan that helped me. And sometimes that might be helpful, but just, just listen. Everybody processes things differently. Probably one of the worst things you could tell somebody who is grieving is this is what you should do because this is what helped me. That's not what they need to hear in that moment. What helped you might have helped you because you're different than them. A part of going forward is the fact that whether or not there's any particular human-made system that's going to walk everybody through, I, I don't know that that's the case. But there definitely needs to be a progression forward with God. What those steps are, how fast the steps are taken, when the steps are taken, 
All of that may differ, but the steps will go forward. That is, grief and mourning are intended to be temporary. It's not intended to last forever. In fact, one of my favorite verses in this is actually over in Ecclesiastes 3 when it says, there is a time to mourn, and then what's the next one? And a time to dance. Isn't it beautiful how God puts those two pieces side by side? Yes, there's a time of mourning, but there's also a time of rejoicing that comes with that. There is a time for everything. So don't rush grief. Don't ignore grief. Don't just walk past it. Grief is a good piece that is used by God. But here's the thing. Don't get stalled out in grief. A a part of our ongoing prayer should be, God, I'm here today. What's next tomorrow? Be be honest with God. Say, God, I'm hurting like crazy. This is what I'm wrestling with. Here's the questions I don't understand. God, I'm here today. I can tell you as best I can from my perspective, this is where I'm at. But what's next for tomorrow? Is there another step that you would have me to take tomorrow? So here's our last question, and this is going to be fast. How can we lovingly support others as they grieve? These are just bullet points, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Study grief and mourning in Scripture. Take some time. I know it's not a topic that a lot of times we want to study, but take some time. Look up those words. Look up the context. Look at what it is that is happening in the moment, how people are processing things with God and the circumstances surrounding grief. Study grief and mourning in Scripture, and at the same time, be ready to share what it is that God has shared with you. But let me also connect that quickly to my second one. Submit to God and ask him to prompt you with next steps. That is, yes, you might have studied grief, doesn't necessarily make make you the expert on grief. I'm a pastor, I got a degree in counseling, and all I can tell you is when grief hits in a personal way, nobody feels like an expert. Submit to God and ask him to prompt you with next steps. Don't feel the need to tell everyone everything you've ever learned about grief. Submit to God. Don't tell someone how they should respond based on your experience in the past. Don't feel the need to answer every question. Sometimes the question a person has is, why did it happen? I don't know. Don't feel the need to try to answer every question. Submit to God and ask him to prompt you with next steps. The third on that would be expect back and forth moments. It is completely natural for someone who is grieving to go through months where it seems like they wake up in the morning and they're no longer crying the first thing in the morning. They have two, three, five hours it goes by and they're thinking about other things and they're like, man, this this is great in one way because I feel like I'm able to regain some normal pieces. But then it sends a sense of fear in their heart as well because they feel like, am I forgetting this person because they're not on my mind constantly? So the person's going to have these back and forth moments. That's natural. But one of the things that will take us by surprise when we grieve is there might be several months that you're walking through something and 
It feels like whatever your new normal is going to look like, it feels like you're starting to find your stride. And next thing you know, you're driving down the road and you see a car and you're like a puddle of tears. You're like, why am I crying? Or you drive past a restaurant and you're overwhelmed with thoughts of, I can remember every meal. I can remember what we ate. I can remember who we were eating with at that particular restaurant. Or you walk in a store and you go around a corner and a scent hits your nose and it's the perfume or it's the the cologne that somebody used to have and you're filled with emotions in that moment. And it's, it's overwhelming for that person. They find themselves crying again. That back and forth piece is a part of the grieving. Listen. If God allowed us to experience it all at one point, we would be overwhelmed. He graciously walks us through as much as we can handle by his grace in that moment. So that brings to the last one, and I close. Learn to say, I'm praying for you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. For a person who is grieving you'll notice that at the point of death and usually through a funeral or memorial service, people are everywhere around them. But two weeks go beyond the memorial service, two months go beyond the memorial service, and that's often the time that people need somebody there with them the most. And what people might not be able to express is everything they need, but I can tell you, if you are good at and consistent in saying, I'm praying for you, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. That person, when they need help, they'll say, I know this person is praying for me. If you look at that list, I don't think there's anything that's there that's earth shattering. But Lord willing, there's some practical pieces on this list to help us walk with people well through grief. So as we finish out, here's my question for you. Are there losses in your life right now that you're grieving, but you've maybe never even looked at as grief? Are there areas where you just keep working and you keep living life and you keep doing your thing because you don't want to stop long enough to process what you're walking through? I would encourage you, process those things before God. Maybe you're walking through grief right now, and you're like, I can't spend time with God. No, you can. It'll just be uncomfortable for a little while. You might say, I'm grieving right now. I don't want to be around other people. I understand that. You need to be around other people anyway. Do the things that lead to the greatest opportunity for God to bring healing and understanding and to walk you through a process so that you're able to come out on the other side and say, my life is not the same, but my God is still sovereign. His plan is still 100% within his control. And I'm gonna worship him anyway. The world doesn't know what to do with somebody who grieves well in that moment. One of our greatest opportunities for evangelism is when we're walking through deep loss. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for prayer.
Our pastors are going to be down front. Our worship team will be stepping up as well. As your heads are bowed, I simply want to read one text over you. It's what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God desires to not only bring comfort and healing in our lives, but as a result of that, he wants us to be those who extend that type of comfort to somebody else. So as we close out in this service, there might be people today in the room that you just need somebody to pray with you. You don't even know where to start. You just know, I need somebody to pray with me. I'm going to encourage you in just a moment whenever we're singing that you can step forward. There's pastors and pastors' wives. We'll have counselors that are up at the front. Just people who want to be able to take whatever time is needed to help you process what the next step is going to be. There might be other people in the room right now that's that you don't know what it looks like to grieve with hope because you don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've been in church a long time, or maybe today's the first time you've walked in church, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here, but all I can say is, whatever you all are talking about, I don't have that, and I want to talk to somebody this morning. I encourage you in just a moment, come and talk to one of these pastors. Just say, I need to know more about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There might be others in the room right now that you've recognized that you pulled away from God during a time of grieving. And God's saying, I want you to come and be with me. Process this before me. Make today the day that you say, God, I'm not going to walk away any further. Whatever it might be that God is prompting in your life, I want to encourage you. Take it to God and remember, remember, He's the one who allows us to grieve with hope so that even in the darkest moments, our praise does not have to be diminished. Our worship can still be strong. God will be glorified. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, may you continue to just do a work through your word and through your spirit in the hearts of those who are here and those who are watching. God, may we be those who grieve well, who know how to move on. At the same time, those who learn to trust in your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? The invitation is open.